You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. In spite of all of your problems, there remains a peace for the people of God, the Bible tells us. So he goes on to declare, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so there you have it. So how do we secure all of this? It's through Jesus. It's through the person of Jesus. You see, he has done what we need. He dealt with the sin problem. Remember, going back to the original statement, it's sin. That's man's problem. Because of Jesus, you can live in a permanent state of Sabbath. That doesn't mean you sit around doing nothing all the time, just basking in God's provision. You do need times like that. God designed us with a need for weekly rest. But it's for our good as well as His glory, not because the law requires it. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, Jesus took our punishment on the cross so we can rest in Him. As you go about your day today, you can have peace knowing He's secured your salvation. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Seventh Day. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, that is the work of uh, his creating the physical universe. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it or set it apart because in it he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. Now, just in case you're confused as to what it means when the Bible says God rested, first of all, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It does not mean he went to sleep, that he was spent, that he spent all of his energy, you know, in creating the physical universe and all that was contained within it like he was looking for some R&R because of this huge exercise of creation. It certainly doesn't mean that. Nor does it mean he was uninterested in what his creations were doing. You know, just leave them to themselves and, you know, and uh, I've done my part, now it's their part and their responsibility and, and, uh, you know, going forward, uh, they're on their own. No, that wasn't the case uh, either. In fact... It's not as if he didn't want to be bothered uh, by those that he had just 
uh, created. In fact, later on in the book of Genesis in chapter 3 in verse 9, but we'll save that for one of our future studies, when Adam and Eve had fallen and uh, had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that one prohibition uh, that God laid upon them, they're in the garden. Quickly, he is in the garden, that is God, to call them to accountability and to introduce his plan of restoration and hope. So it's none of those things. So then what does it mean? What, what is the, the writer referring to when he tells us that God rested? Well, in resting, you see, God is setting a precedent for all of his people. So the truth of the matter is that even in that saying, it's not all about God, but rather it's all about us. And, and that's the way that we need to approach this study. It's sort of like a picture that's being painted for us of rest. You see, God wants his people to enter into that rest. That should be a very common experience for all of us. In fact, may I suggest to you that it is a part of our inheritance in God, finding that rest in him. It's just simply one of the benefits and the perks of being a child of God. In spite of living in a world of constantly changing, restlessness, and great turmoil. And so God rested. And the idea here is that he offered that rest to all of his people. Now, let's talk about the cause of restlessness. And this brings us to our second point. Why do you think that the world is in this state of being of restlessness today? Our world today, let me suggest, or maybe a possible explanation, is because of the fast pace of modern life. I mean, we can't keep up with all of the decisions that we have to make uh, that need to be made relating to our provision. You know, how are we going to provide for ourselves? How are we going to provide for our loved ones, the members of our family? How are we going to protect ourselves? How are we going to protect our loved ones? And what about the future? So all of those choices, all of those decisions that we have to make, the, those things lend itself to our being restless. Well, let me suggest to you that the answer to this question is none of the above. You see, the world's real problem and cause of restlessness is sin. Think about this, and I think that this validates the claim that I've just made. The Bible, in many different places throughout, in describing the sinner or the wicked one, describing them as a tumultuous sea, Stirred up, waves breaking, waters unable to navigate. Here's a cross-reference for you in the book of Isaiah in chapter 57, in verses 20 and 21. But the wicked, are, and the idea here is the sinner. The wicked is the one who is sinning, who is in rebellion against God. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. There's the analogy. When it cannot rest, restlessness whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Verse 21. There is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. You see, folks, that is the fruit of sin. And that's what simply sin does in the life of a person. Now, if we didn't sin, we would have this peace of God within us. But that's 
where the problem lies. That's where our challenge begins. So then, what is the cure for man's restlessness? Well, Paul picks up on this in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, in verses 9 through 11. Here's another cross-reference for you. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There's that promise. It's a, again, as I mentioned before, it's simply a part of our inheritance as a child of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent. Okay, so now the responsibility seems to lie upon us. We have to be diligent to make sure that we do everything that we possibly can do to enter into this rest that God is offering his people. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What example is the writer of the book of Hebrews referring to here in this text of scripture? Well, anyway, the idea here is although God had provided a rest for his people, they're not at rest at all. And unfortunately, I think that this may be some Christian's situation, their present situation. It's not like God hasn't provided or offers that rest, but we, on our responsibility, we haven't entered in. We haven't made the correct choices and decisions that lend itself to experiencing that rest. Now, in context here, according to the same example of disobedience, in context, the writer is referring to the exodus. He's referring to God leading his people out of Egypt, out of their bondage, to the land of promise, the land of Canaan, that they might find that rest, rest from their wandering, rest from the burdens that was placed upon them by the Egyptians. But you're familiar with the story. In fact, it wasn't all that long ago where we studied the book of uh, Exodus. Well, it's been a while, I guess. But in that study, we discovered how that the people rebelled against God, as so often we do. And in the 95th Psalm in verse 11, God is pronouncing judgment upon them. And he says, because of their rebellion, they shall not enter into my rest. You see, rebellion, we need to be very careful about that. That'll stop you from experiencing the rest that God offers his people. So Paul exhorts the people, that would include us this morning, learn from their mistakes. Learn from Israel's mistakes. And don't perish in the wilderness. Remember, they wandered around. The first generation, all of the first generation, with the exception of like Caleb and, and Joshua, you know, they were the only uh, folks who were actually entered into the land of Canaan because of their disobedience, an entire generation. And it's been estimated that there were several million people that were a part of that exodus out of Egypt. So Paul exhorts us here in this text, learn from their mistakes. Don't perish in the wilderness through disobedience. Strive to enter into God's rest. Okay, so how do we do that? Simply abandon sin and everything that keeps you from Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you're never going to sin again. You know, that's really not going to happen, unfortunately, but I'm not giving anyone an excuse to sin. But we're going to sin, and we're going to sin. But we, we can't continue in sin. Therein lies the problem, you see. 
So we need to abandon sin, all of those things that lend itself and lead us into sin, and everything that keeps you from Jesus. We need to just simply put our faith in him, and he will provide that rest. Now, let me give you another cross-reference for this, experiencing and securing this rest, a completely different situation altogether. And as that cross-reference, let's go to John's Gospel in chapter 14, in verse 1, and then again in verse 27. Now, let me set this up for you. The disciples, and Jesus is addressing his disciples, they are troubled about his talk of his leaving them. He's referring to his crucifixion, that divine appointment that was set for him before the foundations of the world were created to die in our place upon the cross. So he's referring to his crucifixion here. And the disciples are becoming restless. And so he addresses them and exhorts them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So that's where we need to begin. We need to just simply trust in Jesus, put our absolute and total faith in him. And then jump ahead to verse 27 of that same chapter. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. You know, the world, the peace that the world has to offer is that, you know, is the result of everything just falling into place the way that you hoped it would work itself out, you see? But this is a peace that passes understanding. That's not subject to everything just working out the way that we hoped it would work out. You know, in spite of all of the difficulties, in spite of all of the struggles, in spite of all of your problems, there remains a peace for the people of God, the Bible tells us. So he goes on to declare, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so there you have it. So how do we secure all of this? It's through Jesus. It's through the person of Jesus. You see, he has done what we need. He dealt with the sin problem. Remember, going back to the original statement, it's sin. That's man's problem that causes man to be restless, that restlessness. It's the sin issue. It's the sin problem. But praise God, the Father sent his Son into the world to deal with that sin problem. Jesus came. He died in our place for our sins. And thus he opens the door into the presence of God Almighty for all who believe on him. We're pronounced justified. We're pronounced righteous in him. And thus we have and experience this rest. Rest with God. You know, but I got to tell you something. I mean, there are things that go on in my life that cause me to be a little anxious at times and stuff. And And then all of a sudden God reminds me who I am. I'm the son of the king of kings. You're the children of the king of kings, the prince of peace, right? And uh, what a blessing that is. Praise the Lord uh, for that, right? And, and it just brings things into the right focus and perspective and, and, and realizing that everything is under his control. I, I've given him control over my life, and he's taking control over my life. And whatever's going on, whatever he's allowed to come into my life is for a purpose, He's working out his plan in and through my life. And thus I can just rest. I have that hope that all things are working together for good because I love him, right? And I'm called according to his purposes. 
So we can begin to enter into God's rest now and look forward to that day when we will be made like Jesus, when we stand before God. You know, and in that day, there's not going to be any more struggles with temptations or sin. And, you know, in that day, we'll have lost our appetites completely, you know, for sin, right? We'll be exactly like Jesus. Now, this leads me to my next point, and that is God's offer of holiness. Now, let's go back to this whole idea of God resting and what it suggests. Remember what I've already said in one of my opening statements. It's not all about God, but rather it's all about us. It's a picture that God has painted for us in the form of an offer. The first offer is that of rest. But here, I also want to include that God not only offers rest, but also holiness as well. Notice that the day of rest was to be set apart or sanctified. And the idea there is holiness. And I think that's what God is seeking to communicate to us, that he wants his people not only to experience rest, but also to experience holiness, sanctified. I mean, after all, haven't we been set apart by God for his purposes? And again, once again, remember what's going on here. It's all about us and really not about God. So God sets the Sabbath day apart to teach us that we are not only to enter into rest, but also into holiness. I mean, think about it. I mean, the two go together, don't they? I mean, the opposite of sin is what? Holiness. So therefore, they go together. So here's God's prescription for our sick world. You know, if only the world would get hold of this idea. But more than an idea, it's a truth. Here's the prescription for our world's problems. Simply holiness. But therein lies the problem, because the world doesn't like holiness. They don't want to be holy. And also, let me add, that this is exactly why the gospel is so hard to preach. Right? And I don't know if the gospel is the gospel with an absence of a message where God calls his people to holiness. Although there there seems to be people who are suggesting that they're preaching the gospel, but they never mention holiness. They never mention, mention the cost of discipleship, denying oneself, picking up the cross and following Jesus. You know, it's all about me and what I can get out of this relationship. It has nothing to do with the sacrifices we make or dying to ourselves, or picking up the cross or following in Jesus' footsteps or holiness. It has nothing to do with holiness, the gospel that's being preached in in so many so-called churches today. Praise God there's enough of them right here in New York City that is preaching the gospel, and we're thankful for that. But here's God's prescription for our sick world, holiness. But as I mentioned, the world doesn't want holiness. People want another way to secure this rest that we're talking about. They are seeking other ways that they might be accepted by God. You see, holiness is most disturbing to most people. But listen, there's only one way to find rest, to find righteousness, and it's by having sin's penalty removed through the work of Jesus Christ, Sin's power broken through the power of the Holy Spirit and sin's presence wiped out by Christ's return. 
It's sort of like a progressive work, if you think about it, right? You know, going back to what I've already mentioned, the Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is. And in that day and only that day, you know, what did they, this is something that we can't even relate to. You know, no more body urges working against the commitment that we made to Christ, right? No more temptation to sin, right? Now, man, I, what a day that's going to be. What a blessing that's going to be. And uh, we all look forward to that day. Now, that brings us to our fourth and our final point. And uh, in comparison to the Sabbath, you know, let's talk about Sunday, which is our day of worship, okay? Sunday, our day of worship. I'm not referring to the Sabbath day here of the Old Testament. Under the old dispensation, under the Sabbath law, the Jews weren't able to do basically anything. But today, we celebrate, right? Uh, We've come together on the first day of the week. And the reason why we come together on the first day of the week was because that was the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. And thus the early church, the church in the book of Acts, chose to set that day apart to worship and learn of God. So that's Sunday for us, right? The first day of the week. But let me suggest to you, in comparison to the Sabbath day, our day, the first day of the week, Sunday, today, should be a day of joy a day of activity, and a day of great expectation. Now, you may be surprised by this. And I don't know if there's a lot of preachers who preach this sort of a message as it relates to, you know, our day of worship, the first day of the week, or they even refer to it as the Sabbath. Now, let me break this down for you. Remember, first of all, I suggested that Sunday ought to be a day of joy. Now, why would that be? A day of joy. Because we see the promise of the Father in Jesus, who is the culmination of the gospel. You know, as we come together on Sunday and we share the message, it's all about Jesus. You know, every book of the Bible, every verse that's in the Bible, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Jesus had searched the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are that which testifies of me. And let me tell you something, and we've talked about this before, and I've used this illustration. I could close my eyes and just go through, you know, flip through any page and just put my finger on a verse. I'm in 2 Chronicles in chapter 11 in verse 5, and I could preach an entire message on the person of Jesus Christ from that verse. Because all of the verses, all of the texts, everything that's written in the Bible all refers to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the culmination of the gospel. Because it's in him we have this hope. Right? All of what God has made available to us and provides for us is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we should be a joyous people. Right? In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember, the ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Let my heart not be troubled.